Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually, consciously living today. Here's your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, co-host and producer of the show. Our topic today is responding to racism with the spiritual practices of yoga. How do the spiritual teachings of yoga support our response to racial injustice in ourselves and in the world around us? We really wanted to address this topic now because of the opening there is in America, because of all of the recent, and by recent I mean over the last few years, of the cell phone videos that we've all become so much more aware of, the obviously the, the very um, brutal killings that have happened uh, over, you know, e- even earlier this year, and we wanted to use this as an opportunity to talk about racism, especially because one of the ways racism is maintained is by keeping it out of view and out of conversation. And for many reasons, white people or people of color may not choose to talk about it, but the topic is so important and so visible today, it's become unavoidable, thankfully, because that means that there's an opportunity for movement Um, I'm delighted to be joined today by Reverend Kamala Itzel Hayward, spiritual teacher and black woman doing work in the area of social justice. For 13 years, Reverend Hayward practiced law full-time, passionate about protecting the public, particularly those people whose voices weren't heard and whose power was subjugated. She went through a time of spiritual questioning and came to understand that suffering is rooted in a mistaken belief of separateness. Now, to those of us who practice yoga, what a, you know, what a huge, profound insight that is, and really one that's at the root of yoga, this mistaken belief of separateness. Now, Reverend Hayward's unique work focused on the teachings of yoga, mindfulness, and compassionate communication ranges from promoting social justice within organizations and communities, and also guiding individuals on their search for personal and professional fulfillment. She is affiliated with the Integral Yoga Institute in San Francisco. You can learn more about Reverend Kamala Hayward and her work at her website, Attuned Living. Attuned, A-T-T-U-N-E-D, living.com. Welcome, Reverend Kamala Hayward. I'm so delighted you could join me today on the Yoga Hour. 
Thank you so much. Such a pleasure to be here with you today. Thank you. So before we dive into our dialogue about responding to racism with the spiritual practices of yoga, let's begin with a moment of contemplation. So let's start by just bringing ourselves fully present in this moment, just feeling our bodies in space, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, what are the surfaces that support us? Where is our body meeting those surfaces? Just feeling our body in space. And then turning our attention to the breath, just noticing on your next inhale, and exhale, perhaps noticing the cool air in the nostrils on the inhale, and that the air is slightly warmer on the exhale. And right here, right where we are, here's something to contemplate from the Yoga Hours founder, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, taken from her book, Living for the Sake of the Soul. See through the veil of differences to the unity of life. People have different talents and abilities, but at the soul level, there is absolute equality. Everyone deserves the same respect. All are expressions of the one reality. Look through all appearances and relate to others, soul to soul. At this conscious relationship, as this conscious relationship is courted, the field of God reveals itself to the devotee as omnipresent and infused with supportive grace. This brings such joy to the heart that praise for all that is naturally arises within us. Oh. Once again, welcome, Reverend Kamala Hayward. I'm Again, just so pleased to be having this conversation with you today on this important subject. And as I mentioned right before the show, thank you so much for the videos that you have made available uh, for people. For those who are interested, you can find them on Reverend Kamala's um, page, attunedliving.com. And um, it's their really wonderful introductions for people who are looking to explore more about this topic of racism and spirituality. Racism has an ugly history all over the world and continues to persist to rise its ugly head in most, if not all, countries in the world, including, of course, the United States. Our yoga hour audience is diverse from many different backgrounds and races and is an international audience. So, but let's begin. Let's begin with how would you define racism? Mm. Yeah. 
Wow, that's a great question. And it's it's a very important question because how you define it will shape how you respond to it. Exactly. Yeah, so I really love starting with this question. Thank you so much. So racism begins with the grouping of people based on perceived physical differences, such as skin tone. Then what happens is that this arbitrary grouping becomes the basis for bias and justifying the cruel treatment and discrimination of certain groups that meet certain physical characteristics, right? And what's really important to understand when we talk about racism, when we talk about what is racism, is that this treatment and this discrimination isn't just on the personal level. Because when racism is defined that way, when it's defined as a personal matter, then it becomes a personal issue that can be solved on the personal level. Right. You know, by the belief that, you know, being nice to each other will will make racism go away or will solve the issue of racism. But racism is when this discrimination actually has become become embedded into our institutions as well. And that's really what we're facing today, right? It's mm-hmm. created this social system that reproduces and reinforces these ideas of racial inequality or racial inequity. So when I think, what is racism? And when we talk today about what is racism, what I'm talking about is this structure, the structure of social and institutional violence. Mm-hmm. You know, I really appreciate that you are pointing out this distinction because it's been one that's been very, very helpful for me personally. And I realized as I've been exploring this area, really just scratching the surface, but one of the big realizations that I've had is that I have been thinking about racism as individual and intentional. And I actually got those words from a video, a YouTube video with Robin DiAngelo, author of uh, White Fragility. But when you think about racism as individual and intentional, all you need to do is you're not a mean person. And you can point to, oh, I have black friends and I have, you know, or friends of other races. And I may even have uh, children in my family, multiracial children in my family. And it just misses the opportunity there is to see it from a deeper level. Mm-hmm. What if, so I would encourage listeners just to ask, you know, what is my definition of, of racism? And am I just thinking about it in these terms as individual and intentional, where all I need to do is not be mean, not be mean, be a nice, but I'm a nice person. Um, But to open their minds more to this idea that it's systemic, and that it doesn't need your individual consent, but only um, our implicit consent, right, to not to not address it and to not sort of rock the boat. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely, exactly. And I think that that is the the limitation to that belief, right, that it is a personal issue that, you know, well, if I'm personally not acting in racist ways, then I'm not contributing to the, it, the problem. Right. The limitation to that is that by failing to see the systemic nature of it, you're actually not contributing to the solution. Right. right? So it's not just not contributing to the problem, but not contributing to the solution. You're keeping the 
um, you're helping to keep the inequities in place because those, and, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more, but, but that silence is what helps keep the inequity in place. And I would even go a little farther and say that by holding it as a definition of individual and intentional, um, there then becomes a defensiveness about even talking about, like even listening to this conversation, people may be squirming a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, because if we're talking about racism, and it, if I believe that racism is individual and intentional, then that means I'm a bad person. Um, that means, um, you know, all kinds of things. And it just triggers us into this defensiveness, this white fragility, actually, mm-hmm. as Robert D'Angelo was talking about it. Um, and it, it short circuits um, a deeper dive, a deeper understanding, and and the possibility of take, taking deeper action. Yeah, absolutely. So I really appreciated the way you began your video responding to, the video was called Responding to Racism, A Spiritual Perspective. And again, I would highly recommend this to people. You can access it on uh, YouTube and I believe through your website. Um, at any rate, responding to racism, a spiritual perspective, and you started it by defining spirituality and particularly defining spirituality as turning towards whatever is happening now. And I must say, I just love that. I just <laughs> love, love that definition because there can be a tension point for many spiritual practitioners who are trying to quote unquote, cultivate peace, um, which may mean to them then not upsetting others. Um, or not getting involved in some of these areas that um, are, well, they are so obvious right now, but also um, feel like a whirlwind or a maelstrom, you know, the political questions, the, um, you know, the demonstrations, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And so it's almost a a dichotomy that's set up about, well, I want to cultivate peace. And so therefore I need to be distance myself. And then there also are teachings in our tradition and in many traditions about cultivating detachment, which I think is, is one, it's a, it's a term that is very tricky. I think it, it doesn't mean what a lot of people think it means Mm -hmm. as as you dive into it. Um, detached, being detached doesn't mean not caring and it does not mean not being involved. There is a flashpoint between peace and justice. And if we truly believe in oneness, then we must understand that our peace cannot be experienced without a commitment to justice for all. So, um, can you say more about that? What does that look like that, um, that, contrast between trying to cultivate peace in our lives and yet still wanting to play a role and feeling called to do something about the injustice that there is in the world. Mm -hmm. Mm, Yeah. I love that question. And I love what you said that, um, that detachment is often deeply misunderstood in spiritual communities. I, I agree. I, I very much agree with that. I don't believe the practices of detachment or unattachment are a call to spiritual practitioners to detach from their humanity or to detach from their hearts. It's not a call to detach from this present moment, right? That is not peace. 
that's that's delusion as you know as we say in in the yoga tradition that's that's denial that's that spiritual bypass that self deception peace lies in this moment whatever this moment brings you know this is the peace that i heard as a child described as a peace that passeth all understanding right so Absolutely. it's not right so it's not a peace of of being quiet and withdrawing from what's this moment, the, the present, mm-hmm. right? It's a peace that exists even if others are upset. It's a peace that exists even if we ourselves are upset, right? right? As, as spiritual practitioners, we understand that there's something beneath the upset right. that can never be disturbed, that is right. always untouched and perfect. Mm-hmm. And that is, and that is bigger. That, piece. Mm-hmm. that is bigger. Right. That's and, right. That, and that can hold. So that's what I loved when you define spirituality as turning towards whatever is happening now. It it's from that perspective of 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 understanding that there is something beyond that. You know, and that's hopefully where we can, you know, stay rooted. We can be detached from the outcomes and you know, insisting that something happened by X date. Um, which we often have no control over anyway, but we, it doesn't mean that we don't engage. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And that is what I believe that, that unattachment, that detachment, that letting go of attachment, that's what I believe it's pointing to. It's attachment to outcome that we're letting go of. Right. And so I know for myself, I'm able to find peace, that deeper peace when I accept that this vision I have for racial equity that I am pouring you know, blood, sweat, and tears into, it may not happen. It may not reach fruition in my lifetime. Right? Right. When I understand that I may not see our society reach that, reach that destination, but know that I'm helping to set a direction, I can tap into that piece. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, you know, there's this a beautiful quote that comes to mind um, as I'm saying this, and it, it goes something like, um, a society is greatest when its elders plant trees whose mm. shades they know they'll never sit in, mm. right? And that's, that's what a commitment to racial equity and social justice yeah. looks like to someone on the spiritual path. Mm. No, that's just a beautiful image. Thank you. Yeah. So... Many people may not be familiar with the terms um, or have really, I guess, looked more deeply at, at what these terms mean. So can you talk a little bit about white supremacy and white privilege? Mm. Yes, with white supremacy, you know, I mean, even hearing those words, it's it's very provocative, right? And Absolutely. And many, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it, it, it can bring up that, that defensiveness that you pointed to at the beginning. Um, you know, because when many white people in particular hear the words racism or white supremacy, their minds go to that conscious hate, that intentional mm-hmm. individual hate that mm-hmm. you were talking about, you know, white mm-hmm. supremacists. But that's different. White supremacy as a system is more than just prejudice, right? Mm-hmm. White supremacy is this structure of social and institutional violence that we talked about of racism that values the needs, desires, and lives of people of color as less than those of white people. Mm -hmm. So this is the form of racism that we see here 
in the United States, right? It's what justified from this from the inception of this country. It's what justified the genocide of the indigenous peoples of the Americas, the enslavement of African people. And and from that, from that moment, from those moments, it formed the ba- and, and from before that, right? But just talking about the history of this country, it formed the basis of every institution that then grew up in this country, right? It's the foundation upon which the legal system is built, financial mm-hmm. institutions, medical system, schools, all financial, uh, legal, I said both of those, you know, all institutions within the society were built upon that foundation. Mm-hmm. And yet... I would say from the white perspective, it's like, it's like water to a fish. Yes. You know, it's invisible. It's omnipresent, but it is very difficult to see, especially if you're not looking for it. And if you hold that other definition of racism that I was talking about, if you think that racism is individual and intentional, well, you're not going to see the, the systemic white supremacy that you're pointing to. And I was very struck in the, in the video, the first video that you did um, about um, spiritual response um, when you were talking about, you know, white supremacy. And of course now white supremacy is in the news so much because of all of the events that are happening politically. But I think you said at one point, if that was all it is, if it was that subgroup, that would be, so much easier to deal with because it's just that, you know, subgroup, but no, it's not that even if we got rid of that, that wouldn't solve, it wouldn't touch this other pervasive, these other pervasive demonstrations of white supremacy that are in or white privilege. If that's a, you know, more, if that's an easier, um, you know, term for people to relate to, or perhaps one that they're more familiar with, but they really may mean the same thing, right? Yeah. And I love, I love the analogy water to a fish because it's, it's not blaming the fish, right? right. It's not saying fish. <laughs> Bad fish. You're a mean you fish. You need to deal with this, <laughs> right? It's like, and, 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 you know, white supremacy was built intentionally that way, right? So that's why I'm saying it's not the fish's fault. It's not the individual's fault. It's not white people's fault that they don't see it. White supremacy was created in such a way so that white people don't see it, so they don't experience it. Right. And that is, I mean, that's a great definition of white privilege, right? To, Mm -hmm. To be able to swim through white supremacy and remain untouched by it, you know? And when I talk about right, white privilege or when people speak about white privilege, it, it does often bring up a lot of defensiveness. Um, and I, I joke, I was joking last night, actually, that it's mostly for two reasons, the word white and the word privilege. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, no, I think it really, it really does touch. <clears throat> it gets back to how people are thinking about it in this in a way, simplistic way, where they're, again, looking at it as though, well, if it's individual and intentional, and then we're talking about it, and I've been this um, participant in it, then it means something really negative about me, right? It Because uh, it means that that I've done something wrong. And I would say, you know, perhaps there is a need to feel that all in the sense of blindness, you know, how blind we've been. Like, you know, for example, 
um, God bless cell phones where there's all of these videos that are around and that have been, that are really caught on in social media. And so these, these uh, events that have been going on forever, I'm sure I'm, you know, absolutely positive. It's not new, but all of the ways that, you know, a black person swimming in a swimming pool, a uh, black person sitting in a dorm common room, uh, black people, black men in a Starbucks. I mean, just go on and on and on. And I must say that I was so naive um, about just being unaware of all of that, that all of that was um, still going on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And, and we're presented with this information as kind of these one-offs, right? Well, this happened today. <laughs> And, you know, how unfortunate. <laughs> but right. when you start seeing the pattern, the repetition, you start to really understand, oh, there's something much bigger going on than just right. these men sitting at Starbucks or this young woman sitting in, the, in her dorm, you know, her dorm common area, right? There's something much bigger happening. Right. And so that's, that's where, where we start to see, right? Yeah. So growing up as a Black woman, I know you've also experienced this firsthand, and I was going to ask if you wouldn't mind sharing some of those experiences of things that have happened to you. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great question. And I did, I did talk about uh, one incident um, in, my, in my talk at the, you know, at the Integral Yoga Institute, the Responding to Racism uh, talk that you referred to um, about a time when I was gardening in my front yard. Uh, and I live in a predominantly white neighborhood in Oakland. And I was confronted by somebody who wanted to know what I was doing there. And, you know, I could give lists upon lists about ways individual um, racism has touched me, individual racist acts that I faced. But even more damaging has been navigating institutionalized racism. You know, research shows that from a mo- the moment a Black person is born into this society, this is something they need to contend with. So a a very recent study, a heartbreaking study published just a few months ago, found that the mortality rate for white babies was largely unaffected by the doctor's race. But for black newborn babies, it was quite different. And we can talk about that. Yeah, as a a physician, I'm just going to say that's just really shocking to me. And unbelievably, we've already come to the break. So um, you're listening to The Yoga Hour with our guest, Reverend Kamala Itzel Hayward. Reverend Hayward has made several teaching videos, which I highly encourage you to look up at her website, attunedliving.com. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us at yogahour at unity.fm. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and co-host of the show. We come back from the break. We'll explore more about spiritual practice as a tool for compassionate right action. We'll be right back. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You're listening to the Yoga Hour, living the eternal way with your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome back from the break. And today I'm speaking with Reverend Kamala Itzel Hayward. And I did want to mention 
that the video programs that we've been describing and highly recommending, you can find on her website, attunedliving.com. And I believe you said it was slash links. Is that right, Kamala? Okay, slash links, forward slash, right? Forward slash links. Um, And that way it'll just take you straight to the links to the videos. So um, I cut you off there at the end, and I apologize about that. Can we go back to that study? Can you tell us more about that study you were mentioning? Yeah, absolutely. So it was just published a few months ago. And what they found, what researchers found, was that Black newborn babies were more likely to survive childbirth if they're cared for by Black doctors. Mm. If they're cared for by white doctors, they're three times more likely to die than white babies. Mm. And, you know, again, this isn't, this is more than an individual issue, right? We have to look at the, not only the society that these doctors themselves are swimming in and this white supremacy that they themselves are swimming in, but how it's even impacted their education, how it's even impacted the way they're seeing these individual people who come into their offices, right? So it's, You know, and we see these disparities in all levels and in all areas of medicine and mm-hmm. of education and of housing and of employment and right. of the criminal justice system, right? So right. that's really just a tiny slice of what it looks like to live in a society that's steeped in white supremacy. Absolutely. I, I was also just briefly going to mention, I saw a thing, I'm a, a physician, I'm a general internist by training, retired now, mm-hmm. but I was very interested to read a little piece in the newspaper about a black, I think he's a medical student whose name, unfortunately, I've forgotten, but he's putting together an atlas of photographs of how rashes look on black skin, which doesn't exist yet. Mm. And I'm, that was really shocking to me. (laughs) It's like, are are you kidding me? You know, that this atlas of just how a particular rash looks, which is going to look different on white skin or black skin, that it doesn't exist yet. And he's filling that need, which is wonderful. But it's kind of, it's pointing to what you said. It's just, it wasn't intentional. It just, you know, that's how it happened. So um, let's turn to this question about, about meditation. Because I know from your second video that you're a fan of meditation. So maybe you can touch on that briefly. But there's also a way in which meditation and prayer are just not enough. Mm-hmm. So can you comment? Yeah. Yes, meditation is a powerful practice. And and prayer, that's another one. Powerful practices. Um, you know, and I'll start with meditation you know, just generally, we know how powerful as yogis, how powerful meditation can be. And not just those, not just those mystical moments that, you know, many of us longtime practitioners may have experienced, but just the impact on day to day, what meditation does for our ability to be present, to experience each moment, to be able to witness our internal reactions and then instead of reacting from a place of habit of impulse to respond from a place of deeper wisdom you know meditation is such a powerful practice i I could go on and on and then in the in the realm of social justice i find it so powerful to witness when these difficult feelings arise you know you mentioned at the start of this 
um, of this program that people listening might feel like they want, they might be squirming in their seats. I think you said, <laughs> and meditation gives us the opportunity to notice that squirming, right? right? To not just squirm, but to also say, Oh, there is a squirming happening in this body. Right. And you know, what, what, do, now what do I want to do right. <laughs> rather right. than just squirm and turn it off? I don't want to hear this is making me squirm. Right. <laughs> Right. And gives us an opportunity to become triggered into curiosity mm-hmm. about our mm-hmm. discomfort mm-hmm. Um, and not immediately just go to it's uncomfortable and I, I just want it to go away. Yeah. But to be triggered, to have enough distance. And I do feel that meditation is so helpful in this way, not during meditation. We don't think during meditation, but the process of meditation and tapping into that thing we were talking about earlier, that knowing that we are all within the one, this is all happening within the one, we're all manifestations of this oneness, this wholeness, this expansiveness that can hold whatever is happening, whatever is happening now, it can, it can hold that, um, and because we are in touch with that more when we have a regular meditation practice, that it, to me is one of the big benefits I get from meditation is this opportunity to, instead of being triggered immediately, just like the knee jerk reaction, mm-hmm. just diving into the reaction, you're in there before you even know it, there's a little pause that opens, just that little pause that mm-hmm. I am so thankful for, that I have a chance to then have a little bit more conscious choice about how I approach it. And what I love is when I can get triggered into, wow, isn't that interesting? Wow, I wonder what is going on there. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And the gift of a long time meditation practice in, in that, along those lines is that the stronger the reaction, the more space we have to hold it. Right. You know, and that is, and to be able to hold it with that curiosity. I love that, that you used that word to be able to hold it with that curiosity rather than just act from it impulsively or habitually, but to look and say, wow, I am feeling deep discomfort. Right. Let's look at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And the other thing that I think is part of that reaction or ideally can be for me is our own self-compassion, compassion, obviously for others, for all, but not leaving ourselves out of that. And perhaps we are becoming aware of our own involvement in this white privilege, white supremacy, whatever you want to call it, and um, hold a soft space in our heart for our own selves as we begin to realize that and begin to be called to take action. Yeah. Yeah. I, I believe it's not sustainable to do this work if we're not holding ourselves with self-compassion. Right. We need to give ourselves that grace, that space to, to learn and to grow and to accept that we now know things maybe we didn't know yesterday or last year or, you know, ever. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And isn't that the hope <laughs> that we would find out things still yeah. about ourselves and about the complexities of our world and all these things that are going on in it and how we may have played an unconscious role and bring that to consciousness. I mean, to me, that's the exciting part. Yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Seeing this journey as a gift, mm-hmm. seeing the identification of these blind spots 
or these areas that we did not see as a gift. Right. So in the video that we've been recommending, you offer five ways to respond to racism as spiritual practitioners. And we've been talking a little bit, you know, about them without labeling it as such. But I did want to turn now to the one that you talk about, um, practice non-cooperation with the system of white supremacy. And how do we do that? Yeah, I, this is a big one. This is it, right? And, and to be clear, it's very important to have the courage to act when you see racism, whether it's at the individual level or the policy level. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I talk about cooperation, I am talking about operating in, or non-cooperation, I am talking about not cooperating with this systemic issue, but to not ignore the individual, um, the individual acts that you witness if you witness them. So one thing that I do see um, in terms of non-cooperation, and I think people believe that they're operating in non-cooperation, um, is when they spend a, when people spend a lot of time and energy fighting with other people who refuse to see the harm that white supremacy does to all people of all races, right? So these are people mm. who are just like, this is how I feel and nothing you're going to do is going to change my mind. Right. To spend a lot of time and energy on that, I really see that as an unwise use of resources, right? These resources are much better spent on dismantling systems of racism, on working toward changing political movements, changing schools, changing healthcare programs, you know, supporting organizations that are already working for structural change, spearheading the work that you're doing in your own organizations to create systemic, sustained institutional transformation, Um, working within organizations to bring a more anti-racist lens to policies and practices there, right? So that's, when I talk about non-cooperation with systems, that's, those are the kinds of actions that I'm really pointing to. And that can make a tremendous difference in the system and making a change in the system. That is wonderful advice. Thank you for that. And as you were speaking, I was very struck that, of course, right use of vital force is one of the yamas in yoga. It's just really a great reflection on where is my where is the best use of my energy? Where is the best use? I, no one person can do everything. So where is important for me to focus and discern compassionate right action? So that's great. The The fourth tool that you mention is to put our white privilege to work to end racism. So to use the resources that we have access to as part of our white privilege. Can, can you say more about that? Yes. Yes. And, you know, I want to start by really saying that, you know, in addition to the reasons we've already discussed about why people feel defensive about white privilege, um, they often feel defensive about it, too, because they've been criticized about having it, right? Or they've been criticized about their white privilege. But when people, when white people are being criticized about white privilege, it's usually not the privilege in and of itself that they're being criticized about. What they're being criticized about is unchecked or unexamined privilege, Mm. which is very dangerous because with white privilege comes the power of choice, of when and where to take a stand, to choose the comfort and convenience of staying silent and knowing that you're going to be safe 
right? And right. that's why unchecked privilege is the backbone of structural racism. It is key to holding structural racism in place. And so when I say put your white privilege to work, I mean to recognize your white privilege and to consciously use it, which is one of the most powerful contributions white people can make to the racial justice movement, right? And it can look like white people asking leadership in their workplace why there aren't people of color in management positions. Mm. It can look like forming task forces in organizations um, that they're involved in to assess data or policies or practices Again, like I said, with an anti-racist lens, it can look like persuading their elected representatives that they that they care about racial equity, that they want to see change, right? It can look like doing all kinds of things like these that could get a white person maybe some dirty looks, maybe even some resentment, but they can take these actions having the comfort of knowing that they probably won't be silenced or ignored or punished in some way. And that's what putting white privilege to work can really look like. That is so great that they that that we have an expectation as part of white privilege is that we won't be silenced or retaliated against or ignored. That's a great way to put it. So one of the things that I think probably is inevitable as someone who is just becoming aware of white privilege and the pervasive nature of it is mistakes Mm -hmm. and fearing making a mistake. I had to work through a little bit of that, even about this conversation today, fear that I was going to say something, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, it is real and um, there is a visceral there's a visceral, there's a bodily response, you know, to those feelings, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you say more about that? Yeah. What would you say about making mistakes as we are responding to racism? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is such a big, big question and a big issue that really gets in people's way of taking action. <clears throat> and I sometimes say, you know, people will say that fear is the problem, but as I see it, fear isn't the problem per se. The problem exists when you let fear control your behavior, right? Right. So you had that fear, but you showed up today anyway. We're on this call. You know, we're talking yeah. to each other. Um, and meditated, so- <laughs> meditated, created a space. <laughs> That's right. Right. We created that space. We started with that period of contemplation. I loved that. Right. Creating that space for that fear to be right. And and what I see so often when it comes to the fear of making mistakes is that that fear controls the behavior. Right. That fear leads to people choosing to not act. And what I think is so important to understand is that failure to act perpetuates even more harm than acting and making a mistake. Because if you act and make a mistake, you can repair. There's the opportunity for repair. Yes, of course it's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But failing to act keeps, it perpetuates the harm. It keeps the system in place. And you know, you can think about it like this. It doesn't matter why you're not taking action, right? It doesn't matter if you're not acting 
because you don't care because you, you know, you think, or because you even think like white supremacy is, you know, you, you want to keep it in place. Right. Or if you're not acting because you care so much, you don't want to mess up. The results are exactly the same. Inaction Mm -hmm. is inaction is inaction. So act, so act. And, you know, yoga is a beautiful practice to be able to create that space, to hold the fear, to hold the discomfort, to find that discernment after you've made the mistake, that to, to, to find the wisdom and discernment to come to a solution to repair. You know, I, I like to tell people, and, and I'll say this too, you know, I like to tell people the fear is often in the unknown. So let me take a little pressure off. I'll make the future known to you. Mm-hmm. If you do this work wholeheartedly and without reservation, without holding back, I'll tell you your future. You're going to make a mistake. You're going to make a mistake. <laughs> it's going to happen. If you're I thought new I could... to this work, you have to make mistakes <laughs> because you're right. learning. Right. You're learning. It's part of the learning process. If you're not making mistakes, you're not doing the work. Right. So important what you were pointing out too, as the effect though, the effect of not acting, it's the effect. It's not the reason why you're not acting. As you said, you may care too much, but it has the same effect as really not caring at all if you don't take that action, you know, so very, very good. There was a question that was asked of you in the second video that I wanted to revisit, which is, how are you doing with this work? Mm. Yeah. Oh, I appreciate that. Um, I'm, I'm really, I'm really enjoying the opportunity to, to share this in communities in which I've seen, you know, the teachings really interpreted in ways that I've felt were, um, you know, incorrect or even harmful to certain communities. So I'm really enjoying the opportunity to, to, to speak out. And I, I, I believe you might be referring, I believe I, I know the talk you're referring to. And what I said in that talk was, you know, it feels like there's a, a window, a window of opportunity here that I am stepping through and I'm, and I don't know how long the window will be open, <laughs> but I'm, grateful for the opportunity to be able to step through it as passionately and compassionately um, as I can for as long as I can. And um, it's really been a joy to, to be able to, to share to share this with these communities that I've loved for so long. And I've seen, um, I've seen areas where there's some, you know, some perspective that's, that's missing that I feel is missing that, uh, in a much being able to share it in a much broader way. So it's been, it's been a real honor. You also, that is exactly what I was talking about, that response. And you also talked about hope and hopefulness. So are you still feeling hopeful? Mm. I'm feeling, am I still feeling hopeful? You know, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm excited because I feel like the window is still open. Yeah. Um, and so I'm just going to keep going. (laughs) It's almost like, and it's not to say I'm not hopeful, but it's almost like I'm not spending too much time Mm -hmm. on the hope. I'm not spending too much time on the outcome. I'm spending my time in what can I do right now? And right now I can still climb through that window. So I'm keeping going. That is such a great yoga answer, right? 
you it sounds like you're you're letting go of the end result and yeah. you are you know in the moment in the process and um in surrender really about what's going to happen but you see that window and I you're going for window. it that's right <laughs> yeah no, I love I love that idea and I do think the window's open and I hope it's open for for quite a while um I think there's a lot to work through and we need we need that opportunity and that space to do it so we've got uh, still about almost three minutes. So in closing, what words of encouragement or inspiration would you like to share with our listeners? Mm. Yeah, maybe a couple of things are coming to mind. I'll, I'll have to make them both brief. Um, you know, in, in thinking about mistakes, I think it can be really helpful to reframe them. And so rather as rather than thinking of mistakes as things that we're doing wrong, thinking of mistakes as where the growth is happening, mm-hmm. where the change is happening. So embracing them, embracing the messiness, the, the, the yuckiness, the discomfort, and letting it letting it really take you to that place of understanding that growth, growth is happening. Mm-hmm. Right. And to let compassion guide you in this work, right? Like you said, compassion for others, but also compassion for yourself, letting love guide you in your work. And I'll leave you with a a quote from professor, author, and activist Bell Hooks that I brought with me today. The moment we choose to love, we begin to move against domination, against oppression. The moment we choose to love, we begin to move toward freedom, to act in ways that liberate ourselves and others. That action is the testimony of love as the practice of freedom. So I'll just close by saying to not think of this work as separate from your spiritual practice, because the work is love. It is love in action, as Bell Hooks says. It is the spiritual practice. Really, really beautiful. Um, So interesting that she was talking about love. It reminded me of a, of something I've heard Yogacharya O'Brien say many times, which is about the growing edge, the growing edge of love in the world. And it was striking me that the mistakes that we make, that's, that's the growing edge of love. Yes. Because that's the growing edge of our growth. Yeah, exactly. And as long as we're, at that edge, we'll continue make mis- continue making mistakes, and we'll continue growing in social justice, in social equity, and in love. And if we if we knew it all already, then where's the opportunity for growth? And yeah. so, kind of like what you said of welcoming those mistakes because it shows us where we still have something to learn and growth, growth to do. Yes. Yeah. And with that, we've come to the end of the show. You've been listening to The Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and co-host of The Yoga Hour. And we've been discussing responding to racism with the spiritual practice of yoga with Reverend Kamala Itzel Hayward. Reverend Kamala Hayward is affiliated with the Integral Yoga Institute of San Francisco. She's the founder of Attuned Living where she offers programs, trainings, and retreats for organizations promoting social justice and better communication. She also offers support to individuals to help them heal from the suffering 
of feeling separate from others and from themselves. You can find out more about Reverend Kamala, her work, and you can view the videos that we've been talking about at the website attunedliving.com. And again, if you want to go straight to the videos, add a slash links. Thank you so much, Reverend Kamala, for joining me today here on the Yoga Hour. Thank you, Dr. Laurel. Thank you. For listeners, we hope that you can join us for the many online programs offered by Yogacharya O'Brien and the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. There's an upcoming online retreat with Yogacharya O'Brien beginning October 22nd, which is next week through October 25th. It's all about self-care, especially designed to strengthen inner peace, build resilience, encourage balance, and most importantly, provide an opportunity to experience the indwelling divine presence. You can find out more about the retreat and the many other online programs at csecenter.org or ellengraceobrien.com. Join us next time on the Yoga Hour when I will be talking with Yogacharya O'Brien about Kriya Yoga and planetary evolution. What does Kriya Yoga offer us in this time of change and challenge? The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. CSE welcomes people from all backgrounds who are seeking self and God realization, a path to spiritually conscious fulfilled living in today's world. Remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, our <clears throat> founder and director, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, assistant producers Anne Hayes and Mickey Coronado, CSE's global media outreach manager Holly Gray and Jeff Comfort and Louis Pagan in the sound booth at unity.fm. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today.